Welcome, everybody, to Radical Minds Podcast, Episode 2. We are your hosts, Mitch Collins and Ryan Smith. We are Radical Minds, a podcast discussing life skills, wellness, cool, wellness tools, coping strategies, and shared experiences to create spaces for improved mental health while Mitch laughs at me. And <laughs> this is Episode 2. Today, we're going to be talking about one of Mitch's favorite topics, radical acceptance. And this is a coping skill to help you build a distress tolerance. So you're going to tell me what that means, right, Mitch? Uh, at some point. I hope so. I don't want to go through this blind. Okay, that's good. I want to learn with you guys. So I'm going to be learning this today. And this skill will help us, especially when dealing with difficult emotions, conflict, um, difficult relationships, um, a day on Twitter, if you guys know what I'm talking about. So we are, we are excited to create the space to discuss radical acceptance. And you're hopeful. We are hopeful. <laughs> all right we are excited to create this space to discuss radical acceptance and are hopeful it may get you thinking about how you handle distressing situations and ways you might improve your ability to handle it thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to us blather on and laugh at each other and we hope you enjoy our cast on radical acceptance so right now we're going to move into our check-in. So every time we meet, you and I are going to be doing our check-in together. So Mitch, tell me, how was your week? What do you want to check in about? Well, I like to say that we're check, check, checking it out. All right, check, check, checking it out. That's right. Uh, and my week has been full of very uh, busyness, I guess. That's, that's I don't know. That's the right term, but it's been it's been it's been a heavy load this week. But it's been good. I had a lot of th a lot of stuff going on coming off the heels of a Friendsgiving that we had. What's a Friendsgiving? Weekend. Friendsgiving is instead of uh, having your traditional Thanksgiving, you you usually do it on another day or another weekend, and you have friends over as opposed to just family. So it was a very cool combination of uh, all of the friends that Anna and I have, my wife and I have. Um, and it was a really fun, eclectic group, and we came together. Everybody brought a dish, and it was just a blast. So we had a really good time. That's awesome. How are you managing, you said the busyness. How are you managing that? Uh, Any self-care you're using? Yeah, so uh, I actually have been using this new uh, software. Well, I guess it's not a software tool, but it's like an on online web tool. It's called Kanban Flow. It's a free software or a free tool. It's not a wrapper. It No. no. No, I mean, it might be. I, you might. I mean, he might. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. Um, but it basically allows you to kind of line out all the projects that you have going on, and you can split that up into various categories. Oh, I gotta check this out. Um, cool. And it's like really, it's really intuitive. It's very easy to use. You can color code things. You can um, put things like in waiting for. So there's a lot of stuff that I do that I'm waiting for other people to kind of touch that project um, and do certain pieces of it, so I can slide it over into that, and then I can slide it back into um, another category that's are you sponsored by Canva right Flow? I'm really not. Okay. I, I am not sponsored by Canva. Like I want to check it out now. You, uh, you convinced me. Nah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I'm a free it tool. Um, a colleague of mine turned it's me onto it, and it's it's very very useful. So I like it. I, so you I can set up a project, and then give everybody pieces, and then they can work with you on the on the project. Yes. Oh, yep. Very cool. But mostly, I use it just for myself and just managing the flow of my life. Okay. Um, and then. It's got some other tools in there that kind of can you can see how long you're working on a project and it'll time you, and you know it really is all about 
spending about 25 minutes-ish on a project, and it will prompt you to take a break, a quick five-minute break. I know you've talked about that in the past. Yeah. That's yeah. really important. Break up kind of looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. And it also, at the end of it, kind of captures how long a project actually took. Wow. So, so you can neat. kind of reflect on it later and see if we could have made changes, mm -hmm. improvements. Yes. Man, a free tool, Kanban Flow. Yes. Wow. And we're not it. sponsored by them. Not sponsored. But Google we're willing it. to be sponsored by them. You, yeah, they could, sure. pay, they could pay us. I'm, sure. I'd be down. I don't know how they're going to find <laughs> us, but okay. So you, so you said some of your self-care is actually using this software to help you manage some difficult things in your life. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. Technology can help. All right. Shocking, I know. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it can help us. How about you, brother? What was, what's been going on with you this week? Uh, I, I got to attend that, uh, the, the Amazing Friendsgiving. That was my highlight of my week, I think, definitely. And uh, I think having Friendsgiving is, it's a different context than Thanksgiving. Another topic we're going to get into that you and I both want to talk about is obligation. Mm -hmm. And I think the obligation is completely different between friends and family. We're going to dissect that later. That could be our whole episode right now, so we're not going to we're not going to trail off into that. And so that was that was awesome spending time with people, only a few people I knew, um, and uh, I had a fantastic time. Uh, other than that, I've been embarking on a lot of like self reflection. You know where I'm at right now with myself and uh, with my career, and I am trying to lose weight, and I've been successful. So at that, I'm 20 pounds down. So yeah, you're looking you're looking pretty hot these days. Thank you, yeah. thank you. I need that affirmation from you. Have to have a talk with your wife. You should. She may not be happy with that. <laughs> uh, if I do another 20 pounds, it'll be the, probably the the least I've weighed since I don't know last 10 years. So it feels good. I mean, it's been hard. I did a sugar detox and a wheat detox, and you don't really realize how much like sugar is like. It is like a legit drug. Like it is. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's like it, like it, like tapping the vein. Yeah, status. I want to say like an opiate, not to you know people really deal with that kind of addiction, but it felt like it. I mean, it felt like like the flu and like grumpiness, and my muscles were aching. Like I'm just been living on this, like this stuff, and I didn't even know how it was affecting me. So yeah, I don't think I'm I'm, I'm way past the craving stage. I'm still dreaming about cakes and stuff. That's okay. I can handle. Well, who that. who really? doesn't dream about that's cakes. true I, mean, I don't think you do but uh I, yeah now if it was a block of cheese that's true that's your that's, that's your my cake. that's my go-to yeah you're a block of cheese yeah. and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cake i guess yeah so <laughs> ratatouille captured my heart yeah sure all the way <laughs> i'm actually thinking about baking for thanksgiving actually which i would never do that probably if i wasn't on the sugar detox so maybe this make me a better baker that i've never been i'm not sure so yeah that's where i'm at and i'm happy to be here i'm happy to be doing number two and I'm excited for our new setup. I'm like taking a number setup. two or doing the number two? No, no, number two episode. Got it. I don't talk so about thank number you for clarifying. normally. I don't do those kind of Twitter updates. So I guess I don't think anybody wants to know about that. So but anyway, I'm glad we're doing episode number two. Thank you for the clarification. You got it. So, so let's get into this, man. Tell me, what is radical acceptance? Why should I care about that? Radical acceptance, we've touched on a little bit if you listen to episode one. Radical acceptance is really about embracing this idea that you are accepting this present moment. You're not wishing for something to be different. You aren't thinking about things that happened in the past. You're not worried about what's going to happen in the future. You're in this present moment being very mindful. 
and radically accepting that what's happening is happening. That it's neither good nor bad. It just is. So I feel like our life is accelerating at a rapid pace. And I feel like technology is accelerating us at a much faster pace. You know, we have more information we've ever had before. So, so you're telling me that if I can find a way to time out and just be here, like with you right now, and that's part of or a piece of radical acceptance, even though life is bombarding us with all this stuff all the time. Right. Okay. So you're going to, yeah, I need to know more because this sounds challenging. It is very challenging. Yeah. And so oftentimes uh, it's really thought of as a practice, something that It's like you, the force, like you just believe in it. And you, yeah, very much Luke Skywalker where you, you work at it. And, you know, if you're so lucky to have Yoda jump on your back um, and help you, guide you through this and practice it every day, you can eventually become a Jedi. Right. If, this, did, if did yoga practice radical that would be maybe he did. We should check that out. You got me thinking now. I think there is some sort there is of something correlation there. Yeah, but right? there is. We should ask George. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, like famous quote, there don't try. There's only do. Do or do not. That's right. That's all there is. Right. <laughs> so so we're getting to some of the some of the really basic, basic part of, of radical acceptance. So what else should I know? What other context or background should I know about this? So this the, other, or... the other big part of it is, so not only is it being in the moment, accepting the, accepting what's happening right now, right, the way it is without putting any, wishing for anything else. Or, or judgment. Or That's judging really it. It's not about judging, good or bad. It's also giving, having compassion, bringing compassion to this moment. Okay. So you mean being compassionate to myself? Absolutely. Oof. Right. Okay. That's rough. Yes. So it's really like, the idea is kind of there's the two parts. If you can think of like a bird and its wings, right? If they only had one wing, you can't fly. It takes really the two wings working in, in concert for it you know, to have to lift flight, and yeah. to take flight and to be free and all those sort of things. So think of the one wing being the mindfulness because you, it's all about bringing that awareness and honing that craft and that skill. And we can do that through meditation in other ways of building that skill. And the other side of it is building the skill of compassion. Because sometimes that can be foreign for so a really lot of have people. To... And that's something you have to practice too. And then a lot of people don't realize that. That if you don't practice compassion, it just does, it won't just like pop up. Right. You know, people aren't just compassionate because they one day woke up and said, I'm gonna be compassionate today. Right. If you said like right. what's our basic like Maslow's hierarchy, it's not really compassion is not really yeah, I mean, it develops, you know, Maslow would say over time, like fourth or fifth tier. But early on, it would be just like taking care of myself, taking care of my needs. So, yeah. Right. So a lot of the ways that people approach that is starting with having compassion for others. And then Do you build, compassion? Build, that, build that compassion. And then eventually you can turn that compassion on yourself. So like a compassion muscle. Absolutely, because we're the we're our hardest critics, right? Absolutely. We're the toughest critics. We we have that kind of internal monologue, right? Constantly, constantly speaking to ourselves and yeah. our minds, editing and critiquing. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. And that can be a very negative voice, and often it is for us because we, as humans, tend to focus on the bad things. Like we were trained to do that when we were way back in the tribal days. You know, for it, protection. For protection, it yeah. was a it was a survival skill. Hey, when you go and touch fire, it burns. Like, don't do that again. Right. 
<laughs> in the very basic terms. And we had to learn the hard way. So like that's how human nature, we got to learn the hard way. So there's this things. programming, our brain, our, our Neanderthal, Neanderthal brain is programmed to think that way mm-hmm. and to view the world in that negative lens, in a sense, for survival so you don't fall off the cliff. Right. Okay. Or run out of food or, yeah. But because we have the brains that we have today that we've developed this you know, stage in our lives, homo, sapi- homo sapiens, we, we, we can combat that through practice and compassion and building that muscle to where we can start seeing our interactions and things in the world that's happening around us as more positive, focusing on that and honing that lens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you can do these two things together, it, it, it forms this radical acceptance for things that are happening in the moment. So can you say the two and things again that have to be in concert again? What are the two things? Two elements? Mindfulness? Yes. Compassion. Compassion. That's so if it. one of those are lopsided, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. fly sideways or in right. circles. Well, because or... here's the thing. If you aren't mindful of the situation, if you can't see what's happening in its true form, right? Without you judgment. You can't separate yeah. from the judgment. Right. Then you don't know what you're accepting. Right. Right? You can't even analyze what you're doing if you can't look at it. You can't. And like for me, for my work, when you're working with the client, it's the level of insight. You know, insight is the fancy term for your ability to look at yourself honestly and and sometimes brutally for the good and the bad and if you can't do that you're gonna you're never really gonna be able to make any assessments of where you're standing so no matter what you do or whatever whatever anybody else does to try to help you you're always gonna be on I guess like sandy footing you know like on the beach you're never gonna be on solid footing so right yeah there's a pitfall all the time waiting yeah waiting at the yeah. next step and then the other part of it is the compassion and that's seeing what's happening right now as it is, as it truly is, and then having the compassion for yourself to say it's okay. Not now, not to get confused with it, radical acceptance isn't I give away the power and I just say this is it, this is all I'm ever going to be, this is what it is, and I don't push myself to change. It it's, it's not. not it's not. Like a free pass. It's not a pass to continue down right. down the path of bad habits. So this doesn't mean you're not accountable. Your, your, your actions still have impact. You can't just say, well, I'm just accepting whatever choices make, good or bad. and Right. Or well. people might say, like, well, this is who I am. So right. deal with it. Deal with it. Right. Which we right. do a lot. And I'm not going to change because... That's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the pitfalls of that? If, if that was a stance you're taking in light of radical acceptance, what is... How is that not congruent with radical acceptance? So that's not congruent because you essentially just stay stagnant. Yeah. You You're looping. Yeah. You loop on yourself, and then yeah. you know you've shared many times that you know if you're not moving forward in life you're and you're stagnant, you're yeah. actually moving backward yeah. because the world is still moving forward, moving forward all yeah. the time. Yeah. So that's incongruent with. The, so you'll go back the idea of the philosophy of radical acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance is is a skill set that is allows you to move past this moment or or work through this moment, right? But also to say, okay, maybe there's some things here that I can change. Some self-reflection comes in. Right. Yeah. Honest right. reflection. Right. Yeah. But it's building that distress tolerance that you don't get crushed by things that happen to you in your life. Can you break down that a little bit, distress tolerance? For people that may not have heard that before. Right. So there's this idea that things happen in our lives that cause distress, right? So there's there's um, 
stress, there's two different forms of stress. Distressing things are negative, often, often seen as negative things, harmful things, things that can bring you down, hurtful, painful, cause suffering, right? And then there's this other form of stress called eustress, which is actually a really good thing. Like as humans, we use eustress, like maybe a good example would be that feeling you get right before a performance, a, or, a performance or a right. game, right? And or recording a podcast. Or recording a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And your body kind of has these physical changes that prepares you right. for that kinda event. You. Yeah. Right? It gets right. you pumped. Your, your, you know, your blood vessels open up. Adrenaline starts pumping. More to your surroundings. And you can yeah. rise to that challenge. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is positive stress in our lives. And it's a very good thing. And actually, you can train your brain to look at the different things that are happening. And you can view them more as challenges versus like... Pitfalls, uh, pitfalls, or, or insurmountable mountains, right? Or, yeah. Then it can actually s- slide things over into the eustress column versus the distress column. So, right. my, so similar when I'm working, you know, with people, I the best thing is if, if like you said, the eustress is if you can somehow bring this within your scope of influence, then you can make change, right? I don't have control of world events. I don't have control of the wildfires in California. I don't have control of that. But if I can bring that within my sphere of influence, then I can offer to give back or I can donate or I can get involved or I can. So you're saying that's a key component to radical acceptance is your ability to pull it within your sphere of influence. Yeah. I mean, really the benefits come, it really helps you tolerate short-term, both short-term and long-term pain um, from either both physical or emotional things that are happening in our lives. Um, you can combat, combat feelings or thoughts of not being good enough or feeling unworthy because that can mm-hmm. be very distressing. Um, and ultimately, the goal of radical acceptance is to reduce the suffering that we experience. Now, notice that I said reduce, reduce and, not, and not eliminate. Right. This is not a skill set that will take away all your pain right. or feeling of anger or frustration. That's right. not the intent. The intent is just to reduce the suffering that's caused by rejecting our reality, mm-hmm. rejecting this moment, or or having those ideas that I know this is happening right now, but I, I want it to be this way, and it should be this way. I think some of what you're saying is we, we have a whole scope of emotions that we're supposed to have, and sometimes those emotions can disable us. So you're saying this could help us prevent those disabling feelings of loss or suffering or sorrow, this could help us prevent from getting into that kind of a place of, of sadness as opposed to, I'm sad I lost that person, they were close to me, but I can look at the things I love about them and, and what they gave me as opposed to going down another route of, well, if they're not my life, then who's next? Or why should I bother? Or getting into that place is a much different headspace. Is that kind of where you're coming from? Absolutely. This did play a role in, I, I lost my... Uh, cousin a couple years ago and that was a very significant um, had a very significant impact in my life and being able to I mean initially I rejected that I rejected the idea that he had passed Mm -hmm. and all the things that came with that Uh, fortunately you know through the years that I've been working in the field I was. I noticed that I was able to kind of come to that place of acceptance a lot sooner than the rest of mm-hmm. my family members, mm-hmm. um, because of your experience, or your skills you'd been using already. Yeah, 
I don't know if I quantified it or categorized it as radical acceptance at that right. moment, but right. now reflecting back, you see we're doing I definitely it. see that accepting that. And I, I very cognizantly remember looking for kind of the silver lining, as odd as that may sound. I looked at my cousin's life and said, what were some of the greatest things that he brought things to he my brought world, to, life, to yeah. my life? And how can I really apply those things? One thing that he was super fantastic about, I just admired about him, is he was very supportive to our family and his mm. friends. He cared deeply about all of us. And he would take time out of his day to call you mm. wow. and just check in. Just make the time. Yeah. And make the time. And I've always struggled with that. I've never been someone that's mm -hmm. been super good about reaching out consistently. So I've tried to work on that. After his passing, that really kind of was an epiphany that maybe I could adopt that quality that he brought that you to saw us. He, that he, imprint he left in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's um, a very healthier way than saying, what am I losing? But a part, as opposed to what did he impart on my life? What right. what impressions they leave? Right. And then of course, you know, I went through the stages sure, the of grief process, and, right? you know, I struggled. And we all know and, research shows that, that, the, the grief process is nonlinear. We've always thought it was a stage process. It's not. So for anybody listening, if you're dealing with loss right now or something else, you may revisit, revisit sadness or acceptance or you may multiple times. I, I definitely see it as very cyclical. Right. Um, but not in a linear fashion. Yeah. It, you could pop from anger to happy to sad to... Denial, acceptance, whatever. Denial. Yeah. And then back to happy and then back to anger and you're just cycling. Um and the and the and the pace of that I think is different for everybody. So you're also saying that people may be hearing this and saying, I think I've been doing some of this and I didn't know I was doing it. I may already be radically accepting parts about myself or my life that I didn't know I was doing. Quite possibly. Yes. That's good. That's good to hear. This is a skill set that I think we can practice. Mindfully. Let's say if I really make this a goal in my life I'm working towards. Like the force, just knowing it's always there. Absolutely. And, that. and yeah. of course, the more you practice it, the better it gets. The better it gets, the more habitual it becomes, mm -hmm. the more natural it becomes. And then eventually, you don't even you're realize you're unconsciously un you're doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. You've unconsciously adapted that into your lifestyle. Yeah. And that's a great, I think, mm -hmm. great thing to do. Now you've, you've built distress tolerance in your life, and you're not even, you don't even have to manage that any longer. Right. It just becomes. Second nature. Instinctual, yeah. Instinctual second nature. Second nature, absolutely. So, um, so how about some, some history? Where did this, where, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead or not, but where did this come from? What's the background of this? Well, what's interesting is when I looked into this a little deeper, there are some very fascinating connections that I've, I've been able to make. This goes back as far as the Buddhist religion, hmm. the, the Buddha, um, a, a story pops into my mind. He has this thing called inviting Mara to tea. In the, in the Buddhist tradition and the storytelling, the Buddha was tr working on becoming enlightened, right? Going on that path. That was the goal. And, goal. That was the yeah. ultimate goal and that was part of the process. Well, during that process, Mara, who is viewed as 
um, an entity, I guess if you'd want to call it that, someone that would bring kind of negativity or um, destruction or chaos to the Buddha to try to throw him off his game, essentially. Mm. And like temptation or just Absolutely, kinda, temptation. Yeah. Uh, Challenges, pitfalls, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, even like pride, like making trying to make him feel prideful and mm. just to throw him off of the path of enlightenment. And Mara would pop up from that from time to time. And once Mara found out that he was on this path, very much wanted to push him off of that mm. and, and to make him fail. And just real quick, isn't that interesting that, that you're sharing this, that I think people listening, I know I'm thinking of, I feel like people that see that you're maybe on a path that maybe is out of their understanding or is opposed to them. And they're like, well, we were just having a conversation before we started recording, you know, about people that may be unintentionally trying to sabotage your path because, well, why do you think you got it all figured out? Why are you so happy? You know, and it's like that analogy with the crabs in the barrel. You know, one crab gets to the top, the other grab, crab wants to keep pulling the crab back down again, you know? So this sounds like this is a very similar story from what you're saying. So Mara's role was just to kind of keep bumping him off his path. Right, and... Uh, for whatever reasons, I, I don't remember that part of the story. Maybe just for chaos. Well, I mean, why does chaos happen? It, right. Chaos is chaos. And so the way the Buddha responded to that was inviting Mara essentially to tea and and saying, you know, I bring, come, I see you. I hear you, Mara. Come join mm-hmm. us for tea. So kind of right. welcoming the challenge welcoming, of chaos into your life. Right, welcoming that chaos, welcoming wow. that pride or that fear or whatever that Mara was trying to represent. Or maybe at she that just time. it's just the uncontrollable thing outside of me that I can't control. So similar to our lives, right? A lot of things mm-hmm. that aren't in our control. Right. And and, and really naming naming, calling calling Mara what out. It is. Yeah. Right. And so I think that translates today is if you can kind of name what's going on in the present, then you kind of reclaim some of the power. Control over it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. Saying like I'm feeling vulnerable right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you've you've kind of reclaimed some of that power, and now you have a choice. You can kind of Wait, do something. And that goes back to that, that insight piece, right? Right. I'm, I'm making a, an honest evaluation of myself. Now I know where to step next. Right. And you're not in reaction mode. You can be in response mode, mm-hmm. proactively doing something. Yeah. Exactly. And and so that's kind of what the Buddha did. And long story short. Every time that Mara would assault him or try to do something like that, he'd invite her to tea, name kind of what she was doing, and took the power away from Mara. And he was successful, and obviously, obviously became the enlightened he one. Yeah. And he is Buddha, and kind of everybody kind of generally, I think, knows that story. So where we go from there is Tara, Tara Brock, who is uh, a PhD um, and has worked in clinical psychology and is one of the leading teachers of Buddhist thinking and meditation in the Western world, wrote a book called Radical Acceptance. Wow. And actually, that's kind of where I found that story about the Buddha was in her book. Um, But she's really brought radical acceptance to the forefront and has used that in therapy with her clients. And it's been tremendously helpful in some of the stories that she shared in her book. I highly recommend people go My, out and check that out. Was, do, you, do you have the name of the book with you? We're going to put it in the show notes, but I'm just curious if you have it with you right now. It's literally called Radical Acceptance, oh, Embracing Your Life 
with the heart of a Buddha. And that's a, and that's been that's that's been around for a long time, right? That book's is that um, first edition, second edition. I'm not sure if this is a first or second edition, but it's not new. This is not a new book. No, okay. it's not a new book. You can go on Amazon, or probably the library, or iBooks, it. or the yeah. library. Uh, it looks like this was copyrighted in 2003, so early 2000s. Okay, it's around the time frame that the book was written. Um, but yeah, that's a great book. And then, kind of where that evolved was uh, someone by the name of Marshall Linehan uh, is a is also in a psycholo- psychologist and a therapist, and has been working with individuals with borderline personality disorder, wow. um, and also other disorders. Um, really, kind of focusing on individuals that are high risk, uh, self injury type of individuals, or individuals that may be considering. Um, suicide, mm-hmm. self harm. Yeah. So very high risk individuals. She, and just real quick for people that may not know, wh- how would you briefly kind of characterize borderline personality? What would you say are maybe some some key components? So I think some key components of borderline. My wife would be able to answer this better, being a licensed. I can help a little bit. I'm MFT, just curious. Um, is kind of the extremes. Yes. Uh, so very, very challenging, um, very challenged with uh, emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. So just, again, on the extreme ends of the spectrum, either uh, you are the most amazing and awesome person in my life, and then the next moment you could be the worst enemy. And sometimes this can be at the same time. There's a book, I think it's called I Love You, I Hate You. Mm-hmm. And that's common you know, for, for borderline, is that, which I can't even fathom having these diametrically opposed emotions simultaneously, I can't imagine what that would do to somebody, you know, going through that. So, so she must have a lot of compassion and understand how this radical acceptance could really play into uh, people dealing with that kind of situation. So it's a very challenging population. Very. um, And what was interesting and fascinating to learn is she, she created um, dialectical behavioral therapy. And so she really, did a lot of research and was working with the cyber population, trying different things out, bringing this Eastern, some of these Eastern um, ideas, philosophies into kind of the Western medical model, traditional yeah. setting. Mashed them together. Mashed them together because we already had cognitive behavioral right. therapy, right? Kind of that really, if we can focus on the thinking, the actions. The rational thinking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tracking and the feelings. Thoughts, yeah. If we can work on those three things, then we can change ultimately the behavior and improve your life. Um, and it's really change-focused, where DBT also not only acknowledges, okay, w- we need to support you in, in thinking about change, but also recognizing that there's times where there, it's okay to not be in a state right. of change, and that's kind of where the acceptance comes in, right. right? That it's okay to be kind of where I'm at, and so there's that's why it's called a dialect, right? Because there's these two opposing things. So you have change on one side, and you have acceptance on the other, mm-hmm. Right, and these two things are opposed to each other, mm-hmm. but can exist at the same time. Yeah, well, they're not always opposed. Just at times, they could be opposed. At times, right, right. Just like all things can be opposed to each other right. at times, right? So right. there's all kinds of dichotomies in the world, right? Um, so and this, it's always this, on a continuum that's sliding back and forth between and so these things. DBT really creates this seesaw where the therapist can be in concert with the client. And meet them where they're at. So, so this would mean that some some frameworks, you know, therapeutic frameworks, are, are are much more rigid. So this one really would 
the therapist would really have to play the role of, of moving with the client and where they're at constantly, just right. kind of being in flux with them all the time. Right. And obviously, as a, you know, the therapist focuses, you know, knowing kind of when to guide the conversation and when to guide and when know, to start back. seeing yeah. and sign, yeah. I guess, yeah. for lack of a better uh, explanation that sense. for that. Um, so Marshall Linehan, again, another interesting fact is uh, later after she had developed DBT and been working in the field for a long time, uh, had a New York Times article where she finally, um, or, or I don't know if she meant to disclose, but did disclose ultimately that she suffers and lives mm. with borderline personality disorder wow. herself. Wow. So I thought that was a fascinating revelation. Yes. Um, and I think quite powerful. Yes. Some lived experience makes a big difference. So a lot of the work that we do, the first thing someone asks us is like, have you dealt with this? First thing, right? And no matter what you say, if you can understand like the, the root of maybe the pain they're experiencing, once they say like, you don't struggle with addiction or you don't struggle with, it kind of this discounts, right? It discounts us a little bit. And I know that happens, you know, when I'm working with people. But right. you're telling me that she, she has this lived experience and came up with this from her own struggle, it would have to be from our own struggle of dealing with this, right? Right. Wow. And so, and again, I, I'm just, I, I'm looking and going into a deep dive into radical acceptance, and then I come across, you know, the late 1800s is Frederick Nietzsche, mm. which is the German philosopher, and you could say, well, all these dots are so right. Yeah. How can you, How you possibly connect, connect this dot yeah. to radical acceptance? Buddha, Linehan, Branch. And Brock. Brock. I always do that. That's okay. Yeah. And then and then now we got Nietzsche. Now we got Nietzsche. And so how does Nietzsche fit into this? Right. Which uh, I'm construct. this is what I'm totally blown away by. So. Yeah. And so I think you know, Nietzsche would well, okay, how's this? The fit? nihilism is what I know him for. Nihilism. Right. A lot of people Nothing matters know him and, as yeah. nihilism and God is dead. Right. right. That's one of his, his most famous quotes. Infamous Right. Quotes. That's a better way to say it. infamous. Yeah. Where I unfortunately I think Nietzsche got it miscast. And if you look into kind of what he was talking about. The body of his work is, shows something else. It shows that he, he was lamenting the fact that modern society at that time was turning to more science and looking through that lens, looking at the world and humanity through that, the lens of science and that we were losing faith mm. and that he felt that faith was a, a, core gravity that was p keeping people on this moral um, baseline or yeah moral compass mm. it was keeping people kind of having that moral ground yeah where we're I think even today we're seeing that that's eroding more and more and yes. more in society whatever society very would be defined as would be it's, changing it's constantly. Very, very unfortunate um, that, that that's happening and that's based on kind of an assumption, right? I'm going to assume that you kind of see things like I do, so we're all going to live in a similar fashion, right? Which we're seeing that's rapidly changing. Right. And so Nietzsche was all about this idea that, you know, religion does keep us kind of tethered to this moral law, this, this kind of direction, this compass that's pointing, pointing mm -hmm. always pointing north. And so that's really what he meant by God is dead. Not that in the literal sense, God is not dead. He was He's not blaspheming. He was, he, no, absolutely not. And something else that he really focused on that kind of gets missed because of that, because of that infamous quote, was the fact that he arrived at this idea of, in Latin, is called 
Amor Fati. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but translated to English is love fate. Mm. It's this idea of loving your fate and not pushing away things that haven't come to pass or things that have happened, right? It's just, this is your fate and you should embrace it. And the way you could do that would have to be to accept it. Absolutely. The way you would do that. He was literally accepting what was happening in his life. And so some of the ways that he articulated that was saying that, you know, as humans, while you're, you're moving through different stages in life and navigating various challenges, you shouldn't look at challenges as negative things, but as positive things. And you should love the challenges in your life because, as you've always said, steel sharpens steel. Yep. It makes you stronger, right? And there's a lot of damage when you start judging a situation or an outcome or a feeling. When you add judgment to it, you may put it into a place that you don't want to deal with it. Or you put it in a box. Or you say, I have to bury this. I just watched a documentary about... Um, you know, uh, this tribe of Indians in Maine and kind of the reparations that the government's trying to do. And, and there's that classic discussion, can I, how can I heal? You know, how can I heal? You know, how can I forgive if you don't, if I can't give myself permission and you can't give me permission? And you see how people get wrapped up in this kind of cycle of, of pain, you know, not to downplay anything that, you know, anybody has dealt with, but, right. but you've got to ask yourself, like you're saying, like, do I want to stay on this path or this loop? you know, that's taken me through a lot of hurt or do I want to try something else, right? right? So that's where radical acceptance has to come into play. Right. Not only not only can't, does it kind of bring up that change factor, but it could potentially reduce the actual amount of pain that is experienced. So that's that distress tolerance. That's, that's the again. distress tolerance. Exactly. And so Nietzsche takes it even further and he says, we should respect and love our enemies. Hmm. So not just the challenges in life, but the enemies that we're faced with. And I've had a lot of experiences where I felt like someone was actively working against right, me. Right, targeting you. or yeah. In the moment, before I had really honed this skill, it was extremely distressing. It was because I wanted it to be different. I was like, why is this person like doing this, these yeah. things? Why is this person acting do this way? Yeah, why are they doing that to me? I've been nothing but nice to this person or right. tried to support this person. And right. They keep coming after me and going for my Achilles heel. And I just don't understand. And that created a ton of suffering. Mm-hmm. Which, really, which is, is really affecting you. It's not really affecting your quote-unquote antagonist or your enemy that much. It's really affecting you more than anything else. Right. And so if we can learn to reframe that and look at our antagonists that come into our lives, because that's inevitable. Right. Right. We will always, always have conflict, have conflict in, yep. a, in, in those types of experiences. If you can say, you know what, not only... Do I see you, enemy? But I love you for being in my life. Right. Because they're the people that help you grow the most. Right. A lot of times when we look at someone and we see negative things in them, it's really a mirror, a reflection of some of the things that we see in ourselves that we dislike. And so having that enemy come into your life can really be an opportunity to learn from them, which is counterintuitive. Right. And to grow. And it's counterintuitive to what you said earlier, that kind of that uh, kind of caveman brain of like, this is, this feels like an attack. I better protect myself. So we go into protection mode, which means we may attack back or push away or recoil. And you're saying, this is not that direction. This is saying, embrace that. 
and love that challenge to see how it's going to purify you. Exactly. Which right. is which it feels really counterintuitive. It feels counterintuitive to us to because do that. Because it is. Right. To our nature. It's counterintuitive to our nature. It is. Yeah. But you're saying if if we don't embrace that, then we can loop ourselves into these kind of cycles of hurt and pain or recoiling or pulling away from things we love in life or relationships or people we care about. Exactly. And so one of my favorite quotes of the present is a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Yeah. And I think that basically summarizes it. Yeah. Very eloquently and very quickly is what we're kind of talking about here. Um, And so the last kind of switching gears, the last connection I made as I was looking into this is there's Don Miguel Ruiz and his son, Don Jose Ruiz, who, as I said in a previous cast, have authored the book of the four agreements and now the book of the fifth agreements. Mm -hmm. They also authored another book called The Wisdom of the Shamans. And so these are Toltec, what they they call Toltec um, people from Mexico. And a Toltec religion literally translates to artist and not artist in kind of the modern sense where we think of like, oh, I'm going to draw a painting or, right. you know, create, you know, creative writing, something right. like that. No, what that, what they're saying is they're the artist of their life. Mm-hmm. So they're creating their artwork is them, is them themselves in the way that they live, so choose to own, live painting their own picture. Right. They're the director of their own movie. Right. Cause we're all kind of, the director of our own movies. Yeah. And so if you choose to believe that, if right, you, if, if you choose I, I think that. that's, I think that's a healthier, more empowered way to live your life. Absolutely. If you feel like you're the pinball on the pinball machine, then I don't know that anybody's really happy with their lives if that's how they're living. Yeah. So I'd much rather be the, the director or the painter of my life. Right. Cause it's the much that you're reclaiming your power and you're saying that life isn't happening to me. I'm, I'm creating life. I'm creating my own life. I'm creating my life of meaning. So I want to read, if I may, of course, a small short story from the book, the book of or the wisdom of the shamans. Again, um, written by Don Miguel Ruiz and his son Don Jose. So this story is called "The Devil's Cave." There was once a young Toltec man who dreamed that he was walking in the desert on a hot summer day. As the sun shined down on him. Off in the distance, he could see a line of young men standing just outside a dark and foreboding cave. They were waiting to go inside, and as he looked closer, he noticed that he couldn't see their faces clearly. It was as if their faces were obscured, but the energy they emitted was that of fear and remorse. Seeing this, the young Toltec man looked up at the sun, which he recognized as the source of all life and he knew what he must do. I want all these young men to be free to go into the sun. I will enter the cave in their place, he said. He ran out toward the front of the line, and the other men stepped back to make room for him. When he entered the cave, it was very dark, and suddenly he began to hear many faint voices, all telling different stories. No matter which voice he turned to, every one of them told him a story of suffering. And every story seemed familiar to him. As he groped his way through the dark, the voices grew louder and louder. Finally, the young man 
covered his ears, dropped to his knees and yelled, Enough! Who's in charge here? I want to see you right now. All of a sudden, the cave went deadly silent. The young man opened his eyes, and there in front of him was a big, demonic-looking creature with long black hair, black obsidian eyes, red skin, and horns. He began to yell in anger at the young man with a deep voice. How dare you? How dare you take the souls I feed upon and take them to the sun? Those souls are mine. The young man was full of fear, but somehow he found the courage to stand his ground. He responded, No! They belong to the sun, to the light. They do not belong to you. In that moment, the demon began to laugh in mockery. <laughs> Who are you? You are weak. You are not worthy to challenge me. Then the demon reached out and grabbed the man by the back of his neck and began to pull the man toward him. He raised his other hand back, ready to strike. But the young man knew what he must do. He stepped in and began to hug the demon. He hugged him tightly, and he said with all the love in his heart, I forgive you. Wow. Great voice work, too, by the way. That I try. Powerful. I try. Thank you. So, so how do you snapshot that? What we, there's clearly some, some symbols and some... So, what, so what's, the, what's the cave? What's the boy? What's the... Right. So clearly the cave is kind of our minds, right. right? And the voice is kind of pinging and ponging back and forth with all this suffering and uh, negativity is kind of our inner voice. Like right? our echo chamber. We it's have, our echo you know. chamber inside our minds, right? And I think we're, again, I said we were our biggest critics. And so this happens all the time. You yeah. know, we experience things. Constantly. And then we tell ourselves this story, right? We interpret what life events, and we interpret that and turn it into our story. We are the directors of our lives. Right. And oftentimes it's unfortunate we, we turn them into negative stories. Right? Yeah, I can have the best day and have everything going my way and I have get up on time and I have a great meal and I'm looking sharp and I have a great day at work and then it rains or I have a flat tire and the whole day is junk. Right. right. Which is totally irrational, right? That right. you have all these great things to be you know, happy and grateful for. And the one thing becomes the, the, your story for the day. Right, the demon, right? right? The demon showing up and, and taking saying, over. hey, yeah. you know, come here, I'm going to feed on that yeah. and I'm going to grow and I'm going to take over and, you know, I'm, you're going to have this horrible experience. So the mental and emotional... punch you in the face, essentially. Over right? and over again. Over right. and over again, yeah. So the mental and emotional choices I make actually plays into the suffering that I'm dealing with. Right, right. Yeah, the, the belief that, you know, we are unworthy manifests in many forms and refusing to accept ourselves and refusing to accept our past actions uh, just leads to more suffering. Guilt, shame, blame, guilt. Mm -hmm. We just talk about those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and until as the young man did accepts that this demon is a real thing and says, and literally leans into that demon and hugs him and says, I forgive you, which is essentially saying I forgive myself mm -hmm. and is showing compassion to his self, right? Then he was freed, 
right? Then no more it, con- the demon had no more control over the him. The demon lost all yeah. the power, lost all the control, and all of those souls, so to speak, went to the light, went to positivity, went mm-hmm. to good experiences. They were free to do what they needed to do instead of going into this cave and being locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how do we... What, what's what's our takeaway? How do we bullet point this for people that may have heard this, never heard this before? How do we snapshot this? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I th- again, I just I think it's fascinating that we I just kind of outlined all these different perspectives from and connected these, all these and crazy connected dots. all these, yeah. these crazy dots that I had no idea existed, right. which is just really cool. And so it kind of reinforces that if you can learn to practice this skill, it's really helpful. I mean, clearly many people have have honed it um, in modern society, in modern psychotherapy. This is happening. And in the past, right, the ancient knowledge. Mm-hmm. So we have the knowledge of the Toltecs, the knowledge of the Buddhas. Knowledge of the shamans, Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's that's really powerful. And I hope that if you're listening that you might want to take a shot at, at trying this out. And for yourself. So, so again, the two components that you want to be working on are what again? The so that's the, that's the mindfulness and the self-compassion. Yeah. And so you might say, well, okay, that's great. But those are really big things. How do I, right, how do those I build down. those skills yeah. in my own personal life? And so really mindfulness is an offspring of meditation. Meditation is the practice of being literally being in the moment and feeling what's happening in your body and then experiencing thoughts that come in and learning or practicing to return back to the breath or back to the focal point, whatever that baseline is. So it could be a guided meditation. It could be a breathwork meditation. It could be uh, even a a song, right? So when you, you notice your mind drifting, you return back to the sound of the song or you turn back to the, the mantra or whatever the or the mantra yeah. yeah there's a tm right transcendental meditation which they use a mantra or a, or a word that brings them back focuses back the mind to the present and so that's really the first kind of wing right or one of the wings and if you're someone that hasn't ever done that before, I, I would highly recommend. There's some really super great apps out there right now. Headspace that, is a Headspace great one. is yeah. amazing. I've used free. Headspace. Yep. Um, you can do it. I think it's a free trial, and then you subscribe, and I think there's like a monthly fee for Headspace. But there's some other ones out there. If, you don't, if that's not accessible to you, um, there's one called 10% Happier. Uh, that's a really good. That's a brand new one, 10% Happier Meditation. There's another one called Calm. And then there's also uh, Zen meditation. All these you can find on your uh, whatever device, you're whatever using. device yeah. you're using, whatever you know. Uh, what do you? What do we call it? Um, ecosystem, right? <laughs> that Android you have to be, or Android yeah, or Apple. Apple. Yeah. You can you can easily download those. If you don't currently subscribe to that kind of um, app use, you can always go to Tara Brock's website. And she has free guided meditation videos that you can access. And YouTube has a ton of. Yeah, and absolutely. There's a ton by length or by guided or non-guided or. Right. And I think my one advice for that is, you know, try a few out and do the one that you gravitate toward, whatever the one that is. There is no right or wrong meditation, just kind of whatever it is that works for you. And and really the work is just sitting, carving out that time. 
and being Being, present with yourself and whatever pops up, pops up. I I know when I first started meditating, I was always concerned if I was doing it right or wrong. Right. Um, And I get wrapped up in that. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to go back to my breath. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. I've lost it again. That's the work. That's the work. That's the work. Right. So I can see the challenge. One of the challenges of this is actually being self-compassionate with yourself while you're trying to be self-compassionate or while you're trying to be more accepting is being patient with yourself while while you're learning this skill. Absolutely. And so that's kind of the, that's the second wing, right? And so this one might be a little more challenging, I think, early on because it's not, it might be a little more foreign. Or counterintuitive, like we said before. Correct. And so a couple of ways that you can kind of build compassion in your life is start out your day with maybe a morning quote. So I know um, the Dalai Lama um, used this quote, and I'll share that with you. Um, you can obviously create your own. Um, variation or version of this, but he essentially said, today I am fortunate to have woken up. I am alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out out to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. I'm going to have kind thoughts towards others. I'm not going to get angry or think badly about others. I'm going to benefit others as much as I can. Now, clearly, you can kind of create your own right. uh, little Some, quote or kind of morning ritual that's going to start your day off on in the right foot. Yeah. Deepak Chopra had something similar to that. He, just for the practice of being present, which I think is really hard for us to do, I think it's hard just to stay right here. And uh, Deepak was in an interview, and he was saying, the most important person in my world is a person that I'm looking at and I'm talking to. And... He said that. I heard that years ago. I think I've shared that with you before. And that totally kind of transformed my concept of being able to be present, which means, you know, putting down my phone, right? Which means maybe not checking the time, right? If I do that, it's taking me out of the moment. So if I'm if I'm breaking contact with that person, you know, eye contact, then I'm I'm not being present. And if I can block out just that time, five minutes, ten minutes, or this, an hour, you know then that's really a great practice towards becoming more present, you know, with yourself and with, with what's around you. And the ability to do that will help you to kind of tamp down what we have. I feel like there's a lot of kind of constant distraction in our lives right now. There's a lot of things vying for our time. A lot of things are wanting our attention, you know, um, social media, TV, uh, the different products that we're supposed to be buying, the bigger, better version of the iPhone, whatever it is that we're supposed to be having, there's lots of things vying for our attention. And that can become exhausting, you know, and irritating and frustrating. And you can feel like, I can't do this. There's no way I can just sit and be with myself to meditate or be present with somebody else. Right. So. Right. And it's really tough to be compassionate with others or toward yourself if you're distracted all the time. Right. Uh, another thing that you can do if you're, trying to build that compassion muscle is focus on the commonalities that we have with With others. Again, because if we can focus on how we can be compassionate towards others, eventually you can turn that skill on yourself. Naturally it happens. Naturally it kind of happens. And so one of the ways that you can do that is you, when you meet someone, either a friend uh, or somebody new that you've just met, maybe you have, maybe you're waiting in line at a grocery store and you see somebody in front of you, maybe just tell yourself, just like me, this person is seeking happiness in his or her life. Right. Maybe think of that. This is water. Yeah. Exactly. Or what? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great video. Yeah. 
Another thing is just like me, the person is trying to avoid suffering in his or her life. Just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Mm -hmm. Just like me, this person is seeking to meet his or her needs. They have a story just like I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think watching This Is Water video is a great yeah. uh, thing to, if you have, a to, if you have time, so it has about I would, five minutes, I would I ask you to, you know, to check that out. We can post out. that in the show notes too. I need to make a note of this. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's really good. And that's, and when you said grocery store, I'm like that, after watching that video, I totally think about the person next to me and they're paying by a check and that's irritating me or the checker that's going slower than I think they should be going. Right. All these little things that just add up to this culmination of frustration. Right. Which makes it impossible for me to be mm -hmm. compassionate to myself or to anybody else. Right. Cause nobody's meeting my expectations. Absolutely. And then another thing that you and I've done a lot and working with people and working with ourselves is really having mantras. Yeah. And being very intentional about that and having these little quotes that we can share with ourselves that I am worthy. I, I am someone. I am important. I am enough. My needs are enough. Yeah. My needs right? are important. Yeah. And it's okay. I mean, things like those little sayings can be very powerful, right? We call them affirmations. Right. And if we can kind of practice those, again, everything kind of goes back to creating this practice, then you're going to build that compassion muscle and pairing that with the mindfulness muscle, you're really going to be able to hone the skill of self, uh, radical acceptance, which is just going to make you far more resilient in this life. And, I think this is definitely a time, maybe more than any other in history, that we could practice some radical acceptance definitely. and start meeting some people where they're at, regardless of their political views or their orientation or whatever that you might be different from you. If we can be more compassionate with ourselves and others, it would just be a better thing all the way around. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So... So I think we want to kind of wrap up with how how have we applied this or how would we like to apply this in our lives? So this has been kind of your topic you've been very passionate about. How have you been able to use this for yourself? Oh, this has been, I think, the last, I'd say maybe two months. I've been really bringing radical acceptance to the foreground. I've experienced a lot of change, especially at work. And even in my personal life, right. too, the things are changing all the time, and they're not, they haven't always been what I've wanted. That would traditionally cause a lot of suffering. Being able to practice radical acceptance has helped reduce that significantly. And because it's reduced the suffering, I'm able to then kind of, as Jocko Willenick would say, detach a little bit mm -hmm. from from what's space. happening and yep. create this safe space that, that I can see the options that are available to me. And by having options, I can then feel like I'm not trapped and know that I can move forward. And you're empowering yourself in the process. Right. Yeah. Right. So I've been definitely keeping radical acceptance in mind and my wife and I have had and I have had a lot of conversation about it. And that's been very transformative and helpful. Because 
I'm not holding on to these things that would create all, all these this, hurts this, or these injustices or whatever they might be yeah. that we hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a perfect example of that, I'll give you one quick story, uh, is the Friendsgiving. Mm-hmm. So we had everything planned out, and my wife and I, we, we always do all the, the meats, right? Because, uh, you know, what's Thanksgiving without meat? True. And so I tried to hit every single meat you could possibly think of. I think we had everything but a fish. I think so. <laughs> on on the plate or available. And my my plan was to smoke everything. And I was going to do it in this big smoker that we have. So I got everything ready. I was everything was prepared and I'm ahead of schedule and that the morning of I'm kind of just chilling, drinking my coffee, mm-hmm. you know, watching like the clock the and I'm like, I'm you know what? It. I don't have to start till about 11. And then about 10:45, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go kind of fire up the smoker and get it going. Well, this particular smoker was pro- propane um, fueled. And so I connect the propane tank to the line that goes into the smoker. I turn it on and immediately start smelling propane, hmm. which is not a good thing. No. If you, if you know anything about propane, if you can smell it, it can blow you up. Yep. And so yeah, that was very concerning. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little. That's that instinct thing kicking in again. Right. Self-preservation. I love a good turkey, but I like my face more. Mm-hmm. And so you're so picky. I know, right? <laughs> uh, bird or face? Yeah. So I went with face, and I went the safe route. And I said, you know what? This is just not going to work. This is not. This is no longer an option on the table. And I immediately fell back into my old schema, and was like, I can't believe this is happening. Of course, it happened right now. The worst possible time. I have all these people coming over to my house, mm-hmm. and, and what are they going to think? If how they might they judge me for I don't have all the, the right all meat. these eighty five meats prepared, <laughs> right? And how am I to keep it warm? And so this went on for about I don't know ten minutes. And my wife came home and she said, "Can you help me bring in the groceries?" And then I I kind of snapped a little bit because you're already because I'm I'm just caught in yeah. this in the cave, right? Yeah, my demon is just screaming at you, popping off, yeah, left and right. And she goes, hey, what's going on? You know, and I, and I kind of said everything briskly, and then I that just I caught it at that moment. And I paused. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Why am what, check in with yourself? I'm, yeah, I shouldn't be. You know, what's why am I responding like this? And I said, ah, it's because I'm pushing everything away. It's because mm-hmm. I want this to be different. Because I can't believe that this is happening right now, and it shouldn't be happening. And how dare the smoker do that to me? Yeah, that's not the way I planned it. Yeah. It's not. It's How not ideal, yeah. as we say. And I said, I'm rejecting my reality right now, and that's not radical acceptance. And <laughs> oddly enough, I've been, you know, trying to practice this and bring this into my life. And I said, you know what? I just need to, I just need to accept this. I just need to say, you know what? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. This is happening. What am I going to do about it? So, what changed with you? Just to enforce this, what changed that moment? When you said, okay, not ideal. This is where I'm at. This is what I got to do. What changed with you kind of internally? When I was able to say, this is what it is, and this happened, instead of me holding on to the fact that my smoker is broken, and I was able to say, it created this little bit of space. I was able to say, well, what are my other options? Right? You saw the options, right? Because And then instantly, to- I was like, wait, I have all these other options. I got an oven. I've got... Uh, a crock pot. There's, I've got another little mini smoker. It's not as big. I'm not going to be able to fit everything in there. 
but I can still get this done. Right. And it's not the end of the world. Right. Right. And I was able to let go of that negativity and that frustration. And I just got to work and Anna jumped in and started helping and came up with some really creative ideas on her own. And together we tag teamed and we moved forward. Had I stayed in that space where I was rejecting reality, I would have stayed stuck. I wouldn't have moved forward. I think in the past I, I definitely would have went down that road of anger and it could have wound up in possibly a fight or worse, canceling the event. And it ended up being one of the best events we've had I agree. to date. Yeah. And so I'm super glad that I've practiced the skill and allowed me to let go and move forward. So that's my own little kind of story about how powerful this skill set can be. So th- we know when we brought up this topic, this is this is a kind of a lot of big asks, you know, for somebody individually. So we will definitely be talking more in depth about self-compassion and how to do that. But real quick, I've I've been applying radical acceptance, you know, uh, in the last maybe four or five months, thinking that uh, I've got my, you know, I'll, I'll go to school, I'll get my master's, and that'll lead to this choice, I'll lead to this choice. So I got the job that I was excited about, and then things didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to. So radically accepting that, hey, that's not. That was for a season. That's why I tell myself that was for a season. Now it's time for a new season. So uh, I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm figuring out what that new season is. And I know I'm going to get there. So having confidence in myself that, you know, that this is, like you were saying earlier, I can embrace the challenge as a chance for to, to build some strength for myself and some learning. So that's been, that's been really good. Where something similar like this would have happened maybe in my 20s. And I was immobilized for like three or four years when something like this happened, where I was basically just just completely crushed. You know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't leave the house and I was pushing people away out of my life. And so, so radically accepting where things are at. And like you said, embracing the challenge and hugging, like you said earlier, hugging the demon uh, in the context of the cave, you know, hugging the challenge has allowed me to, like you said, see the choices, see the other roads I can take and the other options. So it's, I feel like it's, it is difficult, but it is so much more rewarding, so much more empowering to pick this road to radically accept what's happening. So if you say the word radical, I guess that's part of our podcast is Radical Minds, but radical acceptance is like I'm on the mountain and I'm swinging from the rope and and maybe the rope's going to break or sway or the wind's going to pick up, but I'm going to keep climbing up. I'm going to keep climbing up that mountain and just radically accept this rope's going to hold on to me and keep me you know, where I need to go. And I radically accepting has really built that distress tolerance, like you said. So I am handling a lot more and bouncing back from things much faster than I thought I would be. So it's a really good thing. And we are going to be talking about mindfulness too. So, so plan on that in the future. Um, if anybody checks us out in the future that we're going to be breaking down some more about self-compassion, just a quick, just a quick tip or to try out for self-compassion for people, try to keep in a journal and have every day have two pages. One page is how is I compassionate to myself today? And and point it out to yourself mindfully. Hey, I did that. And I, I was able to be kind to myself and I gave myself a compliment and I reached out to somebody else. Then have the other page being where was I not compassionate to myself? 
why was I beating myself up? And then allow yourself at the end of the day some time to kind of reflect back and say, okay, I did this really well and this really well. Why was I struggling here? And why did I keep beating myself up? And that's been really helpful for me. And I know for other people have used it's like self-compassion journals and that just to start building self-compassion. So that's a real quick like tip for, for self-compassion. So that's excellent advice. Yeah. Excellent. So thank you so much, Mitch, for all your work you put into this and for this passion. And I will keep thinking of radical acceptance as the force now because that's how my mind works. Because <laughs> I do like Star Wars. Hey, may the force be with you. Thank you. May the force be with you always. Absolutely. So, and thank you to everybody listening. And we will be including some on our show notes about the This Is Water video and about the book, Tara Brock. And, oh, before we wrap, we're going to try one of our segments. You can check us out on Instagram. We're going to post, Mitch wants to do our new segment called Get Rorschacked. Get Rorschacked. 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 So, Mitch, explain what that segment is for people that don't know what that is. Absolutely. So, Rorschach or Herman Rorschach uh, was a psychoanalyst back in the late, no, early 1900s. This is around 1910, 1920, I think in between those that decade, where he um, were, grew up in Switzerland and had a, had a passion for literal art, um, but also for science. And so he decided to go into the science path and found that he could combine both his passion for art and science using ink blots. And there was a game back in those days called Blato or Kalax, Kalaxics. Uh, I, I'll look that up. I'm, I think it's Kalaxics. Where uh, there was a, a game basically where you there was these ink blots on these cards and people played like charades or created like little short stories based on kind of these ink blots. And he noticed uh, through the love of these ink blots that certain people um, had different connections, connections interpretations, and interpretations of, of yep. those. And he took that a step further, started doing some research. And through his research, he found that uh, people living with schizophrenia interpreted much differently than much others. Differently than others yes, that's which, was, good. which was pretty fascinating. So yeah. that kind of led, to led him research. into this whole arc of kind of developing the research. Um, further, further, he wrote a book about it, and he has his 10 kind of famous ink blots that he used, and a lot of um, psychoanalysts at that time kind We're of adapted that yeah. and started using it as a tool, as a part of their kit for diagnostics. diagnostics. Yeah. Yep. Now, today, in the modern sense, it's not really being not taught. Not as much credence or not as much. And yeah, it doesn't have as, l- as much validity, but right. people still are using it for more personality right not so much for mental health diagnosis but 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 much for kind of personality and right. kind of gives some insights into kind of the psyche about how you're interpreting or seeing things so you're not going to analyze me so, right no not at all okay. no not at all but i cool. just thought it would be really fun to show you this inkbot and you haven't seen this no and first time ever this will be for the first time and i just want to see kind of what your interpretation so stream and, of conscious i'm supposed to just say exactly what i'm exactly. saying exactly without thinking about it too much yeah what, okay yes exactly and then okay. um hopefully our audience will analyze you and give us feedback okay. on instagram Please analyze That'd be really me. cool ready yes and go <laughs> uh batman dog <laughs> it's a bat dog it's my dog is batman yeah it's my your dog is a batman yes that's his face yeah, those are the ears, and or jack o' lantern dog. No, no, no. I like the first one better. Batman dog. Okay, so 
What would I mean? Are you gonna call him Batman Dog or is my it dog him? or the blot? Well, I mean, if your dog was Batman, I think he should be now. Should, would you call him Bat Dog? Yes, because he's not necessarily man. No, that's true. Good point. Bat Dog. Bat yes, Dog. So Bat Dog. Where, I clearly see my dog's face as Batman. That's what I'm seeing. That's fascinating. Can we can we tell a little story about that? So how does this? How does Bat Dog fight crime? Uh, with cuteness? No. Uh, it'd have to be some kind of weaponized treats. I don't, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just streaming conscious here. Uh, he'd have to sniff out the bad guys. Oh. Yeah. Once he gets on the case, he doesn't give up. Or he does what he's doing right now. He just decides to cuddle with his criminals. He just cuddles them into submission. Because so, <laughs> my dog could never really do anything. Like, he's a big coward, but he's adorable. So I think he'd fight crime with cuteness. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. Mm-hmm. So they would just melt under his cuteness. Yeah, and all they just sudden, drop the weapon and drop the bag of money. Say so you're so adorable. They say cuff him, and then that'd be the end of the story. So does Bat Dog have a cave of his own? He has a doggy house, <laughs> a bat, a, a, a bat kennel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Are you gonna say, or I'm just supposed to just no, make sure yours? Um, Okay, so you've now, looked at it more than I have, but I'm I curious. have, but I haven't spent much time really. Okay, thinking so what's about your take? What I see, it kind of looks like uh, I've tainted you, but I want to see what you say. Right, now. it looks like Dumbo in a, a little bit on both sides. There's <laughs> like two Dumbos Dumbo. like meeting in the middle. Okay, maybe in the middle is like the feather or something that he uses. Actually, you know that scene in Dumbo where the he gets all drunk. Yes. And he's just like... Disney wouldn't say that. They wouldn't be happy with that. But that's what happened. He's hiccuping yep. like bubbles. What bubbles. else could it possibly be? It's got to be booze. Okay. He's drunk on... Fermented apples. Kool-Aid. Yeah. Whatever it is. He goes on Sugar a psychedelic high. trip, right? Mm-hmm. This kind of reminds me of that a little bit where he's oh, like dancing. Oh, he sees. Yep. Right? Okay. And it has gotcha. that whole scene, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should definitely check that out. I'm sure it's on... YouTube. So, so this is not clearly we're not. This is not a visual medium, right? So, people listening to this are like, I have no idea what they're looking at. So, what we're going to do is we're going to post this. This is going to be posted. our Instagram and our Twitter, and we want you guys to one analyze either me or Mitch, but also give your hot take. We want to know what you see, and try to be as quick as you can. There's no right or wrong answer. So, just stream of conscious throughout there what you're seeing, and we just want to just have fun with this. So we're going to keep right. doing this, and uh, essentially power to the bat dog and That's right. drunk Dumbo. And the power cuteness. Why do they call him Dumbo? That's really know. insulting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he wasn't dumb. He was no. kind of smart. He was like, and brave. He grabbed Very. a feather and he's like, I'm just going for it. Yeah. Fly. I can do it. Yeah. No, I mean, the elephant has. That's the epitome of courage right there. Yes, it is. Yep. He radically accepted who he was. He, he took did. that jump. He did. You are welcome. Oh, that was sweet. <laughs> that's adorable. I like that. That's okay, sweet. guys. That's it for us. That's episode two in the box. Thank you so much for all your hard work and preparing this. You're welcome, sir. All right. Thank you for joining me, and thank you for hearing. Absolutely. Check us out on Instagram, guys. Uh, Please follow us and check out that picture. Have a great day. All right. That's it. That's episode two. In the box. Peace. Bada bing. Bada boom.